Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to read from verse 1 to 10. Luke chapter 7. After he, being Jesus, had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent, returned to the house, they found the servant well. I am not an arborist. It is not a skill nor training that I possess. I don't have the ability nor the desire to climb up a very tall tree to trim branches. I don't have the tools, the knowledge of the best way to go about trimming or cutting down trees. It's unfortunate that I'm not an arborist because I have a tree in my backyard that consistently has dangling branches about 50 feet in the air. A windstorm will come and knock down some of these branches but then create a few new dangling branches. And because I don't have the ability or the tools to be able to cut them down, I have to look to someone who can. Thankfully, I have a brother-in-law who worked as an arborist. One time he came over Without hesitation, he scrambled up my tree, rigged up a saw with a long rope, and was able to trim those in no time. In our passage this morning that we just read, we get introduced to someone who has a problem. Not a problem with his trees, but something much more serious. And that person that we get introduced to is the centurion. But the problem doesn't have anything to do with himself, with his own person, but with one of his servants. We saw that his servant is very ill and close to death. He knows that there is nothing he can do by his own strength, his own power, his own skill that can heal the servant that he loves. But he knows that there is someone who can. He looks to someone who has the authority, who has the power to heal. He looks to Jesus. Last Sunday, we started our new sermon series, Favorites from the Gospels. And last week, I preached from Luke 5, about the, looking at the story of the paralyzed man. We saw that Jesus 
saw the paralyzed man getting lowered from a roof in front of him by some awesome friends. And he showed this man that his greatest, biggest need was to be forgiven from his sins. This morning, we're going to be focusing on our response to Jesus, to this Jesus who has the authority to forgive sins, the authority to heal. We're going to look at what it looks like to have faith in this Jesus, to look to him. Faith is a word that most of us are very familiar with, something we talk about here at People's Often, something we see all throughout Scripture. We know that salvation, being saved from our sin problem, is only possible through faith in Jesus. But sometimes it can still be difficult to understand what it looks like to walk regularly in faith in Jesus. We can go through periods that can be difficult or or periods in life where other things can become priority. And those times our faith in Jesus might be struggling. But as we dive into this passage this morning, we see a really great example of what it looks like to come before Jesus in faith. Look at verses 1 and 2 of our passage again. After he, Jesus, had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. Okay, so here we see that Jesus had entered the city of Capernaum, and we get introduced to the centurion and to the centurion's problem. And as we start to read more and more about the centurion, we we start to figure out more and more about him. First of all, we obviously know that he is a centurion, meaning that he was most likely a Roman. Because he was a centurion, he was an important man. He had authority given to him. He had authority given to him by Rome, to be in charge of a, of a troop of soldiers, probably around 100 men. So he was a man with authority, with power, in charge of 100 soldiers. That's a lot of responsibility. But we also see his big problem. We see that his servant was sick at the point of death. The servant that the centurion deeply valued, deeply loved. Not only was this a man with authority, but he also cared deeply about the people around him. And his love for his servant compelled him to seek out Jesus because he knew that he could not help his servant by his own strength. Even though this was a man of power, a man of authority, he had no power to heal his servant. But he knew of someone who did. He then does something really interesting. Normally when you have a big problem in your life, something really difficult, our reaction can be to just want to fix this ourselves, to just get it done ourselves, to move mountains, make phone calls, try and fix a situation. If we can just meet with someone face to face, they'll be influenced by my charm, they'll understand my situation, and and they will help me. You know, if I need help, I'm going to go ask for it myself. Especially when you think of someone as powerful, as influential as the Roman centurion, you would think that he would want to use his position, his power, his leverage, in order to get Jesus to help him heal his servant. That's not what he does. He doesn't even go to Jesus himself. 
Instead, he sends two different delegations of people. The first delegation we see in verse 3, where the centurion sent some elders of the Jews to Jesus. And these elders come before Jesus, and they vouch for the centurion man, saying that, you know, he is... Um, that he had been super generous to them in building them a synagogue, that he was well-respected. It, it continues to shed some more light on the character of the centurion, that he was willing to help the Jews financially, that he was probably a God-fearing man. Jesus agrees, and he starts to make his way to the man's house. But as he's on his way, he had been asked to go to the house, so he was on his way going but as he was going, he gets met by a second delegation of people by the centurion. We see this in verse 6. Let's look there again. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. So even though Jesus was, he had been asked, he was on his way to go to this man's house, the centurion sent friends just before he got there, and they tell Jesus this message sent by the centurion. He says, I am unworthy for you to come to my house. Don't trouble yourself with them. What really stands out as we read this story, and something that the author Luke is getting across to us um, is the centurion's humility, his sense of unworthiness. And it's striking because this is a powerful man, right? As we've been talking about, he was a Roman centurion. In order for him to have that position, he would have had to have been the best of the best, right? Super capable, super well-trained, top of his class. He had 100 men under his charge. He had authority over these hundred men. Could tell them where to go and they would go. Tell them what to do and they would listen to him. He had a lot of power, a lot of authority. He was also well respected. He was well respected by the Jewish elders, by his friends, by his servants. He was the real deal. Everyone respected him. He had power, he had authority. Think of someone in your sphere of influence that has a high position, right? Maybe a, a government official or a CEO of a company or a high school principal. People that are used to being in charge, that have employees under them. And yet even with all this authority, his power, we see his great humility and sense of unworthiness in display. He tells this delegation of or he tells Jesus through his friends, look, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to even come to my home. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. I'm just, I'm not good enough. Jesus, you are so much better than me, so much greater than me. Even this powerful, well-trained, respected centurion saw himself as unworthy compared to Jesus. What we see from this man is an example of a right way to see ourselves when faced with Jesus. A sense of our unworthiness. And that's not very easy for us. 
Even though we might not be people of great authority, um, people under our command, but we like to take pride in our accomplishments. We often like to try and exalt ourselves in front of others. To come before Jesus, showing him how great we are, how deserving we are for our prayers to be answered. We want to be celebrated. We want to be right. We want to think of ourselves as better than others. That our accomplishments put us in a higher category, higher tier. I have memories of being in high school and playing high school soccer. And I remember conversations I would have with friends and also thoughts in my mind of comparing myself to other soccer players, thinking how much better I was than them. I was, it was tempting to find my worth in, in soccer and comparing myself to others, lifting up my accomplishments. Somehow thinking that my accomplishments gave me higher worth, higher standing compared to others. It can be tempting to want to come before Jesus, exalting ourselves, defending ourselves and our actions. But the centurion, when confronted with Jesus in humility, he considered himself unworthy compared to Jesus. And he gives us a, a first glimpse of his great faith in Christ. He knew who Jesus was. He knew the authority that Jesus had. How great and worthy Jesus was. And compared to the greatness of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the centurion knew that he himself was nothing. He didn't even think he deserved to have Jesus come into his home. For us, responding to Jesus in faith looks like coming to him in humility, recognizing our unworthiness. Responding to Christ, trusting in him for salvation means recognizing our great sin, our great need for a savior, our unworthiness to be able to come before God by any good deed of our own. But as we walk with Jesus and as we desire to follow him, that involves continuing to come before him, recognizing our inability to follow him on our own. To daily come before him, confessing our sins, asking for strength to live for him. Don't go through life thinking that we are masters of our own destiny. That we want to do things our own way, by our own strength. Thinking that we just need to work a little harder, hold on a little tighter, and then things will go well for us. In the book of James, James warns us about making plans, making decisions while leaving God out of the equation. That, you know, we are going to have our lives figured out by our own strength, that we're going to go to this place, go to this school, um, get this job, marry this person, but all while leaving God out of the equation. Thinking that our own ways, our own thoughts, our own plans, outside of God is enough to get us through. But instead, come before Jesus with an understanding of our sinfulness, that we are prone to wander. Walk with Jesus knowing that you have been given this incredible gift of grace, undeserved, that we did not at all earn, we did not at all deserve. We see in this centurion his humility when faced with Jesus. And for us, that's a, a proper response and one to follow, to know the worth, the power, 
the authority of Jesus and to come before him knowing that we are not worthy, that God's favor is on us because of his incredible gift of grace. But we continue to see the centurion's understanding of of Jesus' authority. Look again at verses 6 to 8 in our passage. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. We already saw that the centurion had a great understanding of how worthy Jesus was, seeing that Jesus was so much greater than himself. But he also, we see his further understanding of how powerful Jesus is and what he can do. He knows that Jesus does not have to walk all the way to his house in order for him to heal his servant. He knows that Jesus doesn't have to lay his hands on the servant in order for him to be healed. All he has to do was say the word and his servant would be healed. He had this really powerful insight into the authority that Jesus has. And he relates it to his own understanding of his authority based off of his position. He knew that he was a centurion, meaning that he had a hundred soldiers under him, under his command. But even though he was in this position with great authority, he himself was under someone else's authority, and that authority being the emperor of Rome. He was given authority by the emperor, meaning that whenever he spoke, Whenever he gave a command, it was as if the emperor was speaking or giving a command. It the full authority of the emperor, Rome itself. So if one of his soldiers disobeyed his command or rebelled against him or defying him, he wasn't just, they weren't just rebelling against him, but rebelling against defying the emperor himself. The centurion understood that Jesus was under the authority of God the Father, sent by the Father. So when Jesus spoke, it was like God was speaking. He understood the power and authority that came from Jesus' word. Again, he knew the power that he himself has. If he tells a servant to do this, they will go and do it. He knew that his commands would be followed. In a similar way, he understood that when Jesus spoke, God was speaking. Jesus didn't need to be close by. He didn't need to actually be at the centurion's house. All Jesus needed to do was say the word. If you have an automatic garage door opener at your home, I'm guessing all of you have done this at one point, where you start driving down the driveway and see how far you can get before your garage door opener is out of range. Is that just me, or have some of you tried that? Okay, a couple of you. 
right? You start to drive further away to see at what point your garage opener is, is too far, is too out of range. Well, the centurion believed that there was no out of range for the words of Jesus. He understood the authority that Jesus spoke from, knew the power of Jesus' words, knew Jesus didn't have to be in close proximity, that he had been sent by God, that he had authority over sin and death, and that all Jesus needed to do was say the word. This man's faith in Jesus was incredible. And even Jesus was amazed at it. Look at verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. It takes something pretty special to be to amaze Jesus. But what amazed Jesus about this man was that he came to Jesus not with pride, but with humility. That even though he was a powerful man himself, he did not depend on himself to try and fix a situation, but looked outside of himself and had faith in Jesus. Centurion man, he knew he couldn't heal his servant on his own, by his own strength, but that he desperately needed Jesus, and he knew what Jesus was capable of. We see from this example of faith from the centurion what faith in Jesus looks like. Faith is humble trust in the authority of Jesus. David Platt says this, your eternal destiny is dependent on humble trust in the authority of Jesus to save you from your sins and to rule over you as Lord of your life. Like we looked at last week, we need to have humility to the point where we recognize our great sins, our, our great need to be saved from our sins, that we are not doing great on our own, but that in reality we are unworthy, that we are people of unclean lips, that we are broken people. But then to turn to someone outside of ourselves that we know is worthy, so much greater than us, who has the power and authority to heal us from our biggest need. To turn to Jesus, trust in him, turn to him in faith. Scripture tells us that we are not saved by doing good things, by working really hard, but by God's amazing grace. And we have access to that grace through faith in Jesus. But faith is more than just a profession of faith and then that's it. One time, um, we had one of Cassandra's brothers over to our house and we were eating burgers and we had some pickles in a, in a jar that Cassandra's brother put on one of his burgers. And that is, as he was eating it, he looked at the jar and saw that it had expired in 2018. But that didn't bother him, he just kept eating it. But there's some foods, though, that you don't have to worry about expiring. You may have heard of Twinkies before. Um, apparently, they do put an expiry date on the box of, of Twinkies, but in reality, they could last about 13 years before going bad. So you could buy Twinkies, put them at the back of your cupboard, not think about them, 
Five years later, pull them out, and they'll be as great as ever. That's sometimes how we can think when it comes to our faith. If we can have this awesome profession of faith in Jesus, recognize our sins, trust in Jesus' saving act on the cross, be excited to follow Jesus, but then things can come up in our lives. We can leave our faith on a shelf for a year, not touch it, and think that it will be standing there just fine. Other things can, can come up that are more important, that can take priority in our lives. Work can become all-consuming. School can become all-encompassing. Sports can be too enthralling. The busyness of raising Children can become too energy-draining. And sometimes we can think that during some of these seasons of life that we can compartmentalize our faith and, and put our faith over there for a bit and then come back to it when it becomes a little more feasible again. Or we'll come back to it when we think we need it again. But when life gets difficult and, and when temptations come and, and it's very tempting to want to give in to sin... Our responses can show that we, we haven't been growing in our faith, that our faith hasn't been fed. Our faith in Jesus is not just the one-time profession of faith, and that's it, but it's ongoing. It's continually coming to Jesus with humility and believing in, in who Jesus is and what he said he will do, what he's capable of doing. Trip Lee says this, faith is believing that God is who he said he is. And will do what he said he will do. We feed our faith by looking to the track record of who we see God is in his word. Making a daily habit of reading and studying God's word is one of the most important habits we can have as we grow in Christ. As we grow in our faith. We see from his word who God says he is, who Jesus says he is. We see track record of what God has accomplished throughout history. Right? We see who Jesus is, who he claimed to be, the authority that he claimed he had, and then followed through. But not only do we feed our, our faith by looking to God's word, we can also look at the track record of how God has moved in your life and in your heart. When hardships happen in our lives it can be normal to question God and his goodness to understand how God could allow things to happen but even in those moments we can look back and see how God has worked in your life how he has saved you from death through sending his son Jesus how he has been with you provided for you the people that he has brought into your life So feed your faith by trusting that God is who he said he is and that he will do what he said he will do. The centurion knew the authority that Jesus had and all Jesus had to do was say the word. If you have been saved by Jesus this morning, you can look back and be thankful that Jesus has said the word in your life, that he knows you, that he saved you, that, you, that he called your name and you responded to him in faith. Continue to, to trust in Jesus' authority in your life as Lord over your life. In his authority to forgive your sins, in his authority to 
continue to heal our hearts. Trust in Jesus' authority over sin and death, how he triumphed over sin and death on the cross. Feed your faith by turning to God's word, reflecting on who God is, trusting in what he said he will do. And the more we will sense our unworthiness and trust in Jesus' authority. Fight the desire to want to lift up yourself before God and before others, thinking that you can earn God's favor, thinking that your status, your effort, your position can earn you favor. Instead, remember the authority of Jesus, the King of Kings. The faith of the centurion was special and even amazed Jesus because he came before him with humility and trusted in his authority. If you haven't come to the point where you recognize your great need for forgiveness, go to Jesus, recognizing that you are not worthy, but he is. We cannot save ourselves, cannot look to ourselves for salvation, but we also can't follow Jesus by ourselves, thinking that we can get by with our accomplishments, thinking that we just need to try a little harder, work a little harder. We can't make plans based off of what we want, what we think is best, leaving Jesus out of it, and then think that we will be growing in our faith. We cannot go through life thinking we can do it ourselves, but there is someone who we can look to. Someone who has the authority to forgive our sins, the power to heal, who promises to be with us. Someone who took our place on the cross, bore our sins, faced the punishment that we deserve. Someone who rose from the dead, showing his power over sin and death. So like the centurion who knew he couldn't help his servant but looked to Jesus, let us come before Jesus, looking to him in faith, coming before him in humility, knowing that Jesus has the authority given to him by God the Father. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are the God of all power, of all strength, that you sent your son Jesus Christ and gave him authority. Help us to come before you, come before your son Jesus in faith, Help us to fight the temptation to lift ourselves up, to want to justify ourselves before you. Give us a sense of unworthiness and use that to draw us closer to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to trust in Jesus, the one that you sent to save us from our sin. And that by trusting in Jesus, walking with him, we can live a life pleasing to you. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.